When I started on this journey, I didn't really have any experience in manufacturing and I just had to hit the streets of downtown LA. And that's how I found suppliers. I feel like our supply chain looks very different from when we first started, but it was a great starting point for me. I wouldn't have been able to do it anywhere else. Hello and welcome to Shopify On Location. I'm Shwang Esther Shan in downtown Los Angeles. The wedding industry is big business, especially all the clothing and accessories. That market alone is worth nearly $60 billion. That number is only projected to grow as more and more people get married after the pandemic. One big reason, the popularity of online wedding apparel. Today, we're talking to Grace Lee, the founder of Birdie Gray. It's an online retailer for all your bridal party needs. Birdie Gray started in 2017 and is best known for its $99 bridesmaid dresses, which is perfect when you're invited to countless weddings with a limited budget. Grace is here at our Shopify LA space with lots of events going on, but she's here to tell us how she shook up the wedding industry with Birdie Gray. Thanks so much for joining us, Grace. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I know the idea for Birdie Gray really came from your own experience. you got to tell us how many weddings were you invited to and what was that shopping experience like? Yeah, so I have been a bridesmaid six times myself over the span of 10 years. And so I knew all the different pain points and, you know, the joys of being a bridesmaid. I got the idea to start Birdie Gray in the last wedding I was in. And I was like, wow, no one had bothered to innovate in in bridal party dressing in over a decade. And so, you know, where I started was, you know, I'd love to be able to find affordable bridesmaids dresses online. It felt like very much a brick and mortar experience. And I wanted to change that. And so Birdie Gray was born. I think anyone listening to the concept, they would love it. Um, but you wanted to actually launch this business. So how did you tackle, bring this concept to life? Yeah, you know, my background is in fashion and editorial. So I started out my career at InStyle Magazine, where I was a writer and reporter, and I really sort of grasped the art of storytelling or identifying what's newsworthy um, in a product and speaking to women. Um, From there, I went to go work in-house for a couple brands like Kate Spade New York and Stila Cosmetics. And that's where I really fell in love with content, social media, and e-commerce. Shopify, you know, I had been introduced to Shopify, I think, in like 2014 or 2015. And I was like playing around with building a storefront. And I was like, wow, it's really user-friendly and easy. And so when I got this idea to start Birdie Gray, I just started playing around. And I I wanted to build a shopping experience that was in line with the way that I like to shop, the way I like to see products merchandised on site, the kind of voice and tone that I appreciate as a shopper. And that's kind of where I started. It was very much um, DIY in in the beginning. I learned how to do everything on YouTube, really. So you tackle wedding wear from an online perspective, selling directly to consumers. How do you make sure that this is something usually people want to try on, want to feel the fabric, and now you're sharing that experience online? I mean, I I felt like no one was really catering to the way that millennial women like to shop. And most people are very comfortable shopping online, but I felt like the whole bride major shopping experience was just very brick and mortar. It was very old school. There are places where you have to go and sign a contract and promise not to return or exchange this address after you purchase it because most of it is made to order. So where I started was I, I wanted affordable price point 
no matter what your budget is, bridesmaids dresses are oftentimes one and done. And so I, I wanted to keep it around a $100 price point. And then I started to think, you know, why is it that you can walk into your favorite retailer like Nordstrom or J. Crew and find a dress that fits um, and you're not committed to, you know, promising not to return or exchange it. And so I started sourcing dresses and I was like, maybe there's a reason why people aren't doing affordable bridesmaids dresses online. And I quickly realized that, no, you can make the margins work. You can buy a totally beautiful photo ready dress online at an affordable price point. And that's kind of where I started. Right now, online customers can actually request samples of different fabric. Tell us how you went through that whole journey of creating those samples. Yeah, so swatches are a really big part of our sort of um, shopping experience. Oftentimes, a bride will come to the site, they'll look for the color palette that they want, and they'll want swatches before committing. And so, you know, very early on when we launched, um, people were requesting swatches and I didn't have them. And so I started hand cutting dresses on my own and sending them fabric samples. I put them on little DIY back cards that said Birdie Gray and I shipped it to them in the mail. And that's kind of when I realized how important swatches were to prospect potential customers. Um, I remember like I was hand cutting swatches with scissors. It was like tearing up my hands. And so the day I bought a swatch cutting machine, I think I almost cried of happiness. Now we're producing tens of thousands of swatches. <laughs> um, and yeah, swatches are, are a whole thing for us. But I, I still have pictures of the early days when I used to have to cut up dresses. For you personally, as the initial ultimate buyer for all your customers, you're based in L.A., which gives you access to so many manufacturers and also the fabric district. How has being in Los Angeles helped your business? Yeah, you know, I really don't think I could have launched Birdie Gray in any other city. Los Angeles is really the hub for fashion. And that's, you know, where I got my start. When I started on this journey, I didn't really have any experience in manufacturing, and I just had to hit the streets of downtown LA. And that's how I found suppliers. I feel like our supply chain looks very different from when we first started, but it was a great starting point for me. I wouldn't have been able to do it anywhere else. Amazing. Um, and how did you go about finding the suppliers and actually talking to them and getting an understanding, getting quotes and getting orders for what you needed? I literally hit the streets. I, I got like a, a resale permit or like a, a buyer's permit. I hit the streets. A lot of people wouldn't talk to me because I think, you know, they, they only like to talk to legit wholesalers and they would ask me for a business card. But I hit the streets and that's that's where I started. I really learned on the go. And has it helped you because you had that proximity and has it given you like a speed that otherwise it wouldn't have being in any other city? Yeah, when we first launched, for sure. So now I would say, you know, we work directly with factories overseas. But in the early days, I was buying wholesale in market and we were white labeling. And because I was bootstrapping, um, I was you know, turning over orders the same day. So I would get orders from the customers, then turn to my suppliers in downtown LA, place my orders, and it created like a really scrap scrappy, like cash flow positive business model. That's how we survived the first year. I don't recommend it because it's not scalable, but it's a great way to prove out your concept if you're an entrepreneur looking to, to start a company. And in the early days of setting up your Shopify online store, how did you approach building out the user experience? Because right now you have things organized so 
um, perfectly with color schemes and also different times of a wedding party activities. So how did you find out that perfect user experience map? Yeah, you know, I took everything that I learned working in the past couple companies. Um, before I started Birdie Gray, I was at Kate Somerville Skincare, and I was adjacent to the digital team, but I learned a couple best practices along the way. I also just kind of put myself in the mindset of the customer, like, how do I want to shop? We know brides shop by color. They can love our brand, they can love our styles, but if we don't have that perfect shade of blue that they want, they're gonna go elsewhere. And so the site is very much merchandised by color. I think inclusivity is really big for us. I wanna make sure that people come to our site and they see themselves represented. And so when you look at our photography and our creative assets, you know, we're very inclusive and that's so important to us. Um, and thinking about the PDP experience, I'm kind of embarrassed, like thinking about the 1.0 version of our Shopify site. It was not optimized at all, but I have a great team now. And if you look at the site, our PDPs are completely optimized. And, you know, it was really important for me to build a site experience that made it feel easy to shop, especially for a lot of brides who are very overwhelmed by the amount of choice. Oftentimes for brides, it's the first time that they're planning their wedding. And so you want to make it as easy as possible for them to get on and off the site and find exactly what they're looking for. We used to do user tests and I was listening to one of them and this woman came to the site and she was like, oh my God, the site is so calming. I'm so stressed out right now planning my wedding. Everything's going wrong, but like just looking at the pastels on your site is calming. And that made me so happy. That's so great to hear. I'm chatting with Grace Lee, founder and CEO of Birdie Gray. I would love to talk about your strategy, especially on the pricing side in the early days. You were committed to the $99 price point. How did you make sure to stay profitable, offer great value and also great styles? Yeah, I think... I really didn't know what I was doing. I was like, what's the healthy margin to make off each dress? And, you know, I was sourcing in markets, so the margins weren't awesome, but I was able to make um, a profit at the $99 price point. Now, obviously, at scale, we're able to get, you know, much healthier margins. But I don't know. I think that I just kind of... I, 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 it was all about proving out the concept and making sure that we had great product market fit in our first year. And, you know, we've been able to do so. It, what's great is that unlike many, you know, high growth startups, we've been profitable for every year we've been in business since 2017. So in the last five years, except for in 2020 because of COVID. What is also crazy is that since 2017, the $99 price point has stayed consistent. Yeah. And today we're getting lettuce for like double digit dollar signs. So how did you manage to stay consistent with your pricing throughout inflation? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, you know, a couple of things. We're always looking for ways to find margin improvements. Um, and we hired a great team um, on the sourcing and, and product side to help lead that charge. Um, we know that our price point is very precious to us and we don't want to break that price point. At some point, <laughs> inflation will get us and we're going to have to raise our prices. But, um, you know, we've been looking for other ways to save on margin, whether it's um, more efficient shipping carriers or, you know, ways that we can engineer the dress without sacrificing on quality just to get better pricing and working with, you know, diversifying our vendor base. Amazing. Um, 
being scrappy is also something you did with marketing. In the early days, you only spent maybe $10, $15 on different digital platforms. So which channels did you experiment with that you saw a lot of impact for the business? Listen, the landscape is so different now, but back in 2017, it was the golden age of Instagram marketing, right? And because of my social media background, I knew how to use Facebook Business Manager and I knew how to set up at a very basic level um, Instagram and Facebook ads. And so I was spending $10 to $15 a day on Instagram's ads in our first year. I was tweaking my audience sets. I was, you know, like doing all the things that you do to make the machine work. And Surprisingly, in our first year, it drove $2 million in revenue. And so, you know, it really helped me open my eyes to the power of paid social. From there, we started to—our marketing mix looks very different now. But in the early days, you know, I could only afford to, to run Instagram ads. From there, we opened it up to Pinterest, paid paid uh, search. So Google is a really great platform for us. Now we're starting to experiment on um, everything else. So like TikTok, podcasts, uh, we did out of home. Um, and so it's been really interesting to see. But yeah, in the early days, it was really just um, experimenting on, on Instagram and just being really scrappy about it. For me personally, I've seen a lot of creators I follow grow up, get engaged, and they're actually sharing their shopping experience with Birdie Gray. Um, so how have you approached influencer marketing? Yeah, so influencer marketing has been a part of our marketing strategy since day one. The first influencer I dressed was Katie Dean Jewelry. Um, and since then, we've dressed over 200 uh bridal party or uh, influencers for for their big day, which is great. Um, I mean, I, I think that, you know, definitely being a social first brand, it was important for us to have an influencer marketing component. We've been very scrappy about it, about outreach um, and our, our strategy. But it's great because I think it just speaks to the fact that nobody wants to pay for, for bridesmaids. <laughs> no one wants to pay a lot for bridesmaids dresses. And so it's been relatively easy for us to, to partner with the best influencers. Um, we've had the opportunity to dress some amazing ones. And I think I see a lot of influencers and creators move to L.A. to further their career, and they also go to your retail store, share that experience. So do you think being in L.A. also helps with that network of building with creators as well? Yeah, we actually don't have a store. We have a showroom and office, and we invite influencers in for fittings. But absolutely, the whole inf- there's so many amazing influencers that um, we've worked with in LA. We also love to partner with influencers for photo shoots and campaigns, and it makes it so easy being in LA because um, there's a huge community here. Amazing. So excited to chat more, Grace. I'm chatting with Grace Lee, founder and CEO of Birdie Gray. I hope you're enjoying our conversation. If you haven't already, subscribe or follow to Shopify Masters on your listening platform and leave a feedback or review for the show. Thanks. So Birdie Grace started with bridesmaid dresses, and you've since expanded into different categories, getting ready wear, accessories, groomsmen accessories. How did you approach looking at different categories and knowing which areas to expand into? 
Yeah. So it was really important for me to focus on our core competency or core product in the early days. That was the best advice that I got. People were like, just focus on your core product, become famous for it, and then expand. And so in our first three years, we only sold bridesmaids dresses and swatches and some groomsmen accessories that were dyed to match our dresses for the, for the men. But that was about it. Once we started getting traction with our bridesmaids dresses, we were like, what else can we sell her? So we started testing into new categories like complete the look. So shoes, jewelry, accessories, you know, shawls for, for fall and winter weddings. And then gifting is huge for bridal parties. And as I'm sure you know, getting ready is a whole moment like in the bridal suite before the wedding. And so, you know, our robes and PJs are becoming like a really big business for us. And so we just started testing and learning and carefully getting those insights and scaling the categories that worked for us. I also feel like being in this industry also has its own network effect. Uh So one bride equals so many bridesmaids, and then they also have their own weddings. So tell us a little bit about that network effect. Yeah, it's one to many, which is great. Well, word of mouth is so huge in the bridal industry. I feel like going back to this being, you know, something that most women do for the first time or first or second time in their lives, um, you know, they really look to their trusted network or people who have done it before to for advice. And so word of mouth is huge. I think when we first started from a marketing perspective, I didn't realize it at the time, but I quickly learned that even from a marketing perspective, we were acquiring one bride and she was bringing back five bridesmaids to buy her dress. So it was just um, a really beautiful business model. Um, and it has had that network effect. And we do see a very healthy repeat purchase rate that you wouldn't expect being in an events based industry. But we're seeing that because the average woman is a is a bridesmaid uh, three times by the time she's 30. And then, of course, she has her own wedding. So tell us a little bit about the financial side of the business. How did you initially raise money for the company or how did you initially bootstrap? Yeah. So in my first year, it was just me plus two freelance coordinators helping me, you know, fulfill product and answer customer service questions. Um, And I was bootstrapping my parents or my family gave me um, some money to get the company off the ground. After our first year, I think we sold 20,000 dresses. And I was like, okay, proof of concept, check, we're ready to go. And so the first thing I did was I brought on my co-founder, Monica, who also happens to be my best friend, but she is a complete operator. Uh, brought her on as my COO. And the first thing we did was we started fundraising. I will say, after having a year's worth of sales data, pretty strong sales data for like a brand new company, it made it a lot easier to to raise money versus, I don't know if we would have had as much success if we tried to raise money before we got um, the company off the ground. But with, with our revenue metrics, I feel like investors were really open to taking conversations with us. And so we we raised our pre-seed, like a friends and family sort of pre-seed round. And uh, we, we closed it, I think, in six weeks. Can you speak to some of the experience of being two female founders and you're perhaps talking to an audience that's mostly male in these pitches and you're talking about a concept that might not be something super familiar with the audience of investors. How have you gone through the fundraising experience in that realm? Yeah, you know, it's so funny because in 2017, now, if you sit in a room with any VC or anyone, there's always female representation. But five years ago, that really wasn't the case. And so, you know, we had like our pink macaroon of a deck um, and we were going into these meetings. But I will say, 
you know, I, I feel like the, our metrics spoke for themselves. And so males were very receptive, oftentimes more than a couple times. Like people will be like, they'll take the meeting, they'll be quiet, they'll ask a couple questions, but then they would follow up and be like, oh my God, I, I shared your website to my girlfriend or my wife or like a friend. And they said, yes, this is an amazing concept. Bridesmaid's dresses are so painful. Like someone needs to come around and change it. And so I feel like the, the feedback that they got from their female peers was very positive. And, you know, I feel like that helped sort of like sell our story. For founders who's never approached the VC world, never gone through pitching, what advice do you have for them as they're trying to prep for an event like this? Yeah, I mean, I will say, and this is just based on my own experience, it's try to have solid metrics going into the meeting, right? Because the metrics will speak for themselves. I would also say, know your numbers, <laughs> know your category. There are questions that VCs will ask, and they're oftentimes the same questions. They, you know, revolve around CAC, like marketing, um, and then LTV and all of that. So just go in prepared, knowing what those questions are, and you'll be fine. No one knows your business as well as you do. So Birdie Gray is female-founded and owned, and majority of your team, over 50 employees, are female. It's so unique. Can you tell us how you've grown your team and what kind of rituals you have? Yeah. You know, we were actually remote before COVID. It was, I built this company from my living room floor. It used to be our warehouse and our fulfillment center. And so I just got really used to working remotely at home. Um, and so when we were building the team and I brought on my co-founder, Monica, who's actually based in New York, it was important for us to, to build it in a way that worked for us. She was just starting at that time. She was planning to start a family and, you know, it was important for her to have that, that um, opportunity to not be in an office every day. And so we now have 50 employees between New York and California. We have an office or a showroom in California. I get together with the team once or twice a week, but for the most part, we're remote. And so we really like to hire people who are great working independently. And we love to empower our team. And so, you know, we have the smartest women on the team who are like moms and want that flexibility to be at home and not have to physically be in the office. But when they're on, they're on. And that's the kind of culture that I, I, I've really enjoyed building. So throughout your career, you actually didn't work for companies that had Asian American founders. And now you are an Asian American founder with your own company. How has that experience been like? It's a really great experience. I have to say, I've always worked with really strong, empowered women, but I've never worked on teams with Asian people in leadership positions. And so to have that now has been great. I look at my team and I love the fact that we have so much diversity on the team. You know, growing up, the only role models I really had were Connie Chung and Christy Yamaguchi. There weren't like Asian female CEOs. And so, you know, I'm glad. I, I hope that, you know, the next generation of girls or young women who are looking to start their own companies can find a little bit of inspiration in, in what we're doing. And for you personally, when you were growing up, um, you're, you were saying that you were in fashion. Um, you didn't actually want to be a founder or run your own business. Um, so when you were telling your parents that you wanted to quit your job and start Birdie Gray, how did they take that? Yeah, it's so funny. I never thought I would be an entrepreneur, let alone a CEO. Um, 
My parents were so supportive. So, you know, at first I thought that they would want me to go down a more traditional path. But, you know, my sister's a doctor. My brother's a dentist. But I'm middle child, and I've always kind of gone rogue. And they were the first people to support me in this journey. I was like, I want to start a company. And my parents are pretty entrepreneurial. You know, they're immigrants. They have their own business. They came to America with nothing and made a name, you know, built their lives. And so I feel like they saw that spark in me, and they were so, so supportive. They were the first, you know, people to, to encourage me to quit my job and, you know, gave me, you know, a bit of funding to get the company off the ground. They gave you the financial foundation for you to keep on building Birdie Gray. Yeah, exactly. I, I could not have done it without them. In fact, our very first collection of dresses were named after every single family member that I have. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. And how has the dynamic between you and Monica um, developed from friendship to now business partners? And what do you guys do to like make sure both your personal and professional relationships is growing? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I get asked this quite a bit, especially from people who are thinking of starting companies with their friends. I will say Mon and I are opposite. There is zero redundancy in our skill set. I am a brand person. I am creative. I love like the merchandising piece and the product development and the design piece of of being a founder. Monica is an operator. <laughs> like she is in the back. She's making sure like the the trains are leaving the station on time and that's sort of like her core competency. Her background is in um, strategy consulting. And so, you know, it's sort of like that yin and the yang and we know I feel like we do a pretty good job of not overstepping our our boundaries. Like, I never tell her what to do. She's the final decision maker on the teams that she runs, and I'm the final decision maker on, like, the verticals that I own. And so it's worked really well for us. Um, And I think that's important. I could see how it could be challenging if there are overlapping sort of skill sets, but that's not our dynamic. Um, Also, you know, we our personal friends. Like we go on trips together. We go on girls trips. We have like our friend time and we have made a conscious decision to like turn off work when we're socializing. And then when we're on, we're on. I feel like that's been pretty important. In the early days, like we would go on trips and all we would do is like be in the corner talking about work. And it just, you know, it's not healthy. And so over time we were like, all right, let's no more work talk, draw boundary, like have fun. And then let's resume on Monday. Setting those boundaries and also getting in that friend time as well. Yeah. So looking forward to 2023, are there any goals or special projects or new releases that you can share with us? Yeah, there's so much I'm so excited about in 2023. Primarily, we are aggressively expanding our assortment, which is really fun. I hired my first fashion designer last year, and so you're starting to see some of the designs that she's designing roll out right now. And we have so much in store for next year. We'll be broadening our product assortment, our color assortment, our fabric assortment. And so I'm really excited to see the collection evolve. We're also and this is probably not a 2023 thing, but, you know, we're talking about what's our omni-channel strategy? What's our retail strategy? Do we do we feel like we need a retail presence? Um, and so we're starting to kind of um, map out plans around that, which is great. And then um, just seeing our other sort of non-dress categories grow is going to be really exciting. Super excited. And we'll be on the lookout for all those updates. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Grace. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. 
That's Grace Lee, co-founder and CEO of Birdie Gray. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Shopify On Location. Our show is produced by Megan Coyle and Gogo Zoger. Our engineers are Matt Schwartz and Miku Betlam. Benjamin Gottlieb is our supervising producer, and I'm Shwang Esther Sham. And we will see you next time. Yeah. <laughs>